0: The church experience online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you would like to access helpful Growth Steps resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience original worship songs, and we hope that gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online.
1: How's everybody doing? <laughs> we were uh, taking our youngest daughter in bed when she was two years old. She's now almost six, which is hard to believe. And she was two years old, and she was going to bed. And as I was tucking her in, she said, Daddy, Mommy told me that I could stay up later tonight. And I said, well, Macy, you did stay up later. Now it's later, and now you're going to bed. And she said, with a stern face, looked right in my eye, said, You will not get away with this. (laughs) You know, have you ever asked a kid how long they want to stay up, I did ask her that. Like, well, how late do you want to stay up? She said, my whole life. (laughs) That was the response I got. Maybe you can remember when you were a kid. Do you remember the excuses that you made? Do you remember? They're they're abundant. You know, well, I'm hungry. (laughs) Can I play one more game? I haven't got my homework done yet. I need to plug in my charger. I forgot to brush my teeth. I mean, the excuses to stay up late. I mean, you remember, you were there. I I know, I wasn't there when you were a kid, but I, I can tell you, you made all kinds of excuses. You probably had some good ones. You might have even got away with a few of them. You know, we've grown up a lot since we were little kids making excuses to stay up late. But there's something that hasn't changed. Our tendency to make excuses That that fact that we like to make excuses hasn't changed in all these years. You're still, believe it or not, an excuse maker, and so am I. We do this all the time. And and one of the areas that's most detrimental to our future, where we tend to make excuses in, is in our relationships. You know, in this teaching series, we've been studying the last couple weeks relationships and how to have better, healthier, greater relationships, not only with God, but also with each other. And I think excuse-making is probably one of the biggest things that holds us back. It's our thinking. It's our thinking. How we think about relationships that a lot of times holds us back. So today I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to this message. It's going to be a special one because we're going to address four excuses that you and I tend to make, excuses that hold us back from making our relationships better, from making that marriage better, making that relationship with your kids better, making those friendships better, whatever kind of relationships that you're engaged in, the excuses that actually hold us back. We're gonna let God's word shine some truth on those excuses that we tend to make. So here we go. Excuse number one holds a lot of people back from getting in relationship or making relationships better, it's, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. You know, I'm just just busy. I I don't have the time. And how many times have we heard that in life? You know, someone say, I'm just too busy. How many times have we often felt that ourselves? I'm too busy. I don't have the time. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is where we're going to begin today. And I want to start by reading from verse 8. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? He asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. We're going to read some more in a moment, but but this man, he's all alone but what he's doing is is meaningless. It's a miserable business the Bible says because he's Doing life alone, reaching for the unattainable more, the more that you never get to because when you get the more that you were looking for, you find out there's still more you don't have. Somebody else has more. So he's on this endless chase, which there'll never be a finish line to, hoping that he can get more, accomplish more, attain more, travel more, whatever his goals are. He's after more out of this life, thinking that when he gets more, then he's going to be satisfied. But he's all alone because he's, he's abandoned relationships in pursuit of his dream. You know, this is one of the devil's greatest strategies, and it breaks my heart as a pastor. I see it so often is, is people withdraw from community. They withdraw from relationships, from family, from church. And then they say things like, I, I just got to figure some things out. Now, I got I to work on some things. I need some time. And they, they pull themselves away. But what they don't realize is that they're stepping right into the devil's trap. Every time it's like, well, I'm just going to get alone. Well, well, the devil, he hunts for those who are alone because they don't have support. They don't have others watching their back, watching their six. They, they're, they're alone, and so they're vulnerable, and the devil knows that. So one of his primary strategies is to get you to be alone. And one of the ways that he gets us to be alone is he gets us to chase something out there. Well, you're in community and it's imperfect and it doesn't always flow right or something's not going well. But, but man, I wonder if that greener grass over there, I wonder if there's something out there that would make me happy. And we start down those rabbit trails. And it could be as simple as a, in a relationship, one person starts to withdraw. They, they, start sharing, they stop sharing their heart and how they feel about things. They just kind of create a little distance. It doesn't matter. I don't have time. We're busy. And, 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 and two ships just start sailing for distant shores. And, and this can happen to any of us, but it's, it's underneath it, it's this, I don't have time. I, I'm, I'm busy. There's a lot going on. It doesn't matter. Well, this guy in this verse, it says that he was chasing wealth specifically. He wasn't content with what he had. And so because of his discontent, he was trading his time, because we all have been given the same amount of time, he was trading his time for something in this life, for for an earthly life. He was living for pleasure, and, and pleasure can look like a lot of different things, but for him, what made him happy, what gave him pleasure was to have more, more stuff, more money, whatever. So this, this the Bible says, is meaningless. It's futile. In the end, it's disappointing. He's going to find out that this one life that he traded for, his time, he's going to realize he made a bad trade. He gave his one life that he had. He only gets one shot, and he gave that one life for something that will not last. How disappointing, and the Bible literally calls it meaningless, A miserable business but let's look at an alternate example look at the life of Jesus so we we say things like I'm really busy but was there was there anybody that had more important business to do on earth than Jesus was there anyone who had a more important agenda who had bigger hopes and dreams changing the world, bringing salvation to mankind. I mean, you and I think we're busy, but, but that's nothing compared to what Jesus was after. He was incredibly busy. He was very important. Crowds of people wanted to be around him, but what did he do? He found time in the busyness to prioritize people. He gathered around him, these, these 12, we call them disciples, these students he poured his life into them. They did life together. And those of you who are leading life groups, you heard about life groups earlier, way to go because you're doing exactly what Jesus did. He gathered around him a group that he invested his life into. What a cool role. And, and he did that. He poured himself in. He prioritized people. And He was really busy. See, Jesus had a limited time on earth. He's an eternal God, but while he's on earth, he had limited time in the flesh. And he traded that time for helping more people experience a full life in Him, to experience the kingdom of God, find eternal life long term, help them live for the Father's glory. Now that life is rewarding beyond description. In the end, it's not disappointing, it's actually fulfilling to know you traded your time for that. So, so time comes down to priorities. It comes down to priorities. Well, I prioritize my limited time this week on earthly things or on eternal things. Now, both of them are going to be in the mix. You have to work and make a living and put food on the table, and you have to manage. If you have a home or apartment, you got to put time into cleaning, and you have a vehicle, you got to maintain it. Right, there's things in the earth that we're going to do. But, but this myth that keeps me from having a better marriage, having better friendships, being in community, being in a Bible study with somebody, whatever it is, attending service, it, it's, it's this myth, I'm too busy. See, we all have time. We're not too busy. It comes down to priorities. If someone says, I can't because I'm too busy, it's not that they're too busy. It might be that they're busy with the wrong things, but it's not that they don't have time. So this myth, I don't have time, is not true. Jesus had the most important, biggest, most vast mission of anyone who ever lived, yet he found time to break away from busyness and to get alone with some people that he could love on and spend time with and care about and listen to and laugh with. He found time for people. See, you're gonna pull off whatever it is that you prioritize. And in your teaching notes, here it is I don't find time for important matters. I'm not gonna ever just find time. I make time. Everybody say, make time. I make time for what matters to me. So I'm not going to just find time for important matters. I have to make time for what matters to me. And, and do people matter? It's not an issue of do I have time. It's, it's does not it matter enough? Does it matter enough to build a healthy family? Does it matter enough to build some great friendships? To invest my life in others to serve others? Now, the message of Jesus is ultimately a message of a trade. To die to ourselves in this life so that we gain eternal life. Or we can... Take all we can get now out of this life. We hope it goes well for us. We hope we get a long life and good health. We hope that we have prosperity and all these things. But we, if we live for this life, we're trading it for life eternal in heaven. So the gospel is really about trust. When it comes down to it, it's a message of trust. Do I trust that God is not holding out on me? When he tells me to die to myself in this life and not go chase the pleasures of the world and live for the pleasures of the world, when he says, listen, what really matters is loving God, loving people, and that's what's eternal, I have to trust him. It's a message of trust. Do I trust that when, if, I, if I give all of my life to Jesus and I surrender all to him and I die to myself here, that I have not made a bad trade? Isn't that the fear behind it? I'm too busy. We're busy chasing things out there because we, we don't want to miss out. We have a fear of missing out. FMO, a fear of missing out. We don't want to miss out on this life. We, we want to go out there and experience it to the full. But the gospel is trusting that Jesus, when you're walking in him, John 10.10, 10, he will give you life to the full in him. And in the end, he will give you a much fuller life for all of eternity. So it's a good trade. Do I trust God enough with my time to prioritize what he prioritizes? You know, in trading your life with Jesus, you get an eternally better offer forever. In fact, not only just for eternity, but in this life. The worst life you could have here in the flesh with Jesus is an infinitely better choice than the best life you can live here on earth without God. I mean, you just need to know this truth deep in your heart. Because the world is always saying, hey, make the trade. Give, it, give your time to get more out of this life. And, and Jesus is saying, no, die to this life. Because if you do, not only do you get eternal life, which in, in itself, God's grace is more than enough, but here on this earth, if dying to yourself happens to look like a very difficult life filled with suffering and you suffer as Jesus did, that life is still far better. Why? Because you have this eternal hope in Christ. You have the fulfillment of a personal relationship with, with God. By the way, I was talking to someone the other day. God gave me the opportunity, just someone I met in the community, and I had never met him before, and we just found ourselves in a situation where we were talking, and they used to attend church. They said until they were 12 years old, and then as they got older, they kind of drifted away, and they're not a believer, and we started talking, and he said, you know, I grew up, and they talked about how, you know, you can have a personal relationship with God, and as we were talking, I had an opportunity to witness to him and share my faith a little bit. Now I realized that what he was saying, one of one of the things holding him back was when he had always heard, which we've said many times here even at our church, it's a personal relationship with God. He took that as well, I don't need people then. You know, it's it's personal, I mean it's just between me and God, so I can just go do that anywhere. I don't I don't need other people. And I started talking to him about this stuff. It's fresh in my heart. We're teaching our church. And I said, you know what? You, you can't really fulfill the commandments of Scripture by yourself. It's not meant to be personal, meaning isolated. I mean, how do you pray for one another by yourself? <laughs> how do you serve one another? How do you love one another? The, the Bible never presented an individual faith. Personal in the sense of closeness and realness between me and the father and this, there's this personal companionship where he knows me. I'm known and I know him, but not personal meaning individual. That's an American value, which I'm all for. I believe in, you know, I'm thankful for this country. I'm grateful for what God's given us. But, but sometimes where we live, our, our values in our culture can seep into our faith if we're not careful. And we're in a very individualistic culture, aren't we? I mean, our, our country was founded on that. Let's break away, do our own thing. That's our banner. you know. Independence. We celebrate it every 4th of July and I'm all for that. I'm so thankful for our freedom. But in my faith, I'm not called to be independent, am I? I'm called to be dependent. Dependent on my father. Dependent on Christian community and relationships where I can love others and be known by them. So it's not a personal individual faith that I have. I need to make time for this this faith I have that's that transcends just my own life. It it touches and, and impacts lives around me. One more thing I'll say before we go on to the second excuse, and that's this: is that I think the trade that many of us are tempted to make in this life is really a form of spiritual procrastination. And do you remember the last time that you procrastinated something? Maybe some of you were in school right now. And do you, do you remember the last time that you were, you were, maybe you were in school and you procrastinated something? The teacher said, "Hey, at the end of the semester, there's going to be this like ten-page paper that's due, and it's due on this date." And they gave it to you in the syllabus at the beginning of the semester. You, you knew that it was coming. But, but that Friday night, like all your friends say, hey, let's go out. Let's have some fun. You're like, oh, I'm in. Let's go. And then the next week, you know, you're thinking about it. But then everyone's like, get together. hey, let's go do some, some ball. Let's go play. You're like, all right, I'm in. And, and then the next week, like, oh, you know, I go see my parents. I'm going to go do that. And you just, you just put it off and put it off and put it off. And, and do you remember the feeling the closer the deadline got? Do you remember the last time you procrastinated something? It might have been an oil change. It was way overdue. It could have, it could have been anything. And, and, and you remember that feeling? It, it's, it's, it's in your gut, isn't it? It just kind of sits with you. It's this like, some of you feel right now, I'm so sorry, I brought up something that you, you know that you should have done like three months ago, but you just feel uneasy like, ah, oh, man, I gotta do it, but you don't have time right now, so you bump it off another day, another week, another month, maybe another year. Some of you have been procrastinating. There's someone in here that's nudging the person next to you, and they've been dating for seven years. What are you gonna propose? Come on, I don't know. If that's you, then that's why God brought you here today. Come on, let's get married after service. We got witnesses. I can officiate. Let's go. But, <laughs> but some of you are procrastinating. You're procrastinating something, and you know that feeling, this gut feeling. Spiritually, I think people do the same thing. I think when people chase the world, When we start chasing after the things of the world, like this guy here, he's chasing, he's not content, he wants more out of this life. His his eyes said, we're not content, he wants more. You know in your gut, you know in your gut that something's missing. That's probably what fuels some of the discontent. But, But we don't take the time to slow down and put our finger on it. But, but we know that there's something more important than just my career or making money or, or, or being successful or being valued by others. We, we know that there's got to be something more, but we kind of procrastinate it. It's okay. I'm, I'm just going to keep focused. I'm going to keep driving forward. And, and that kind of almost further fuels our discontent because we're not really satisfied with whatever is going on in our life. So I'll just, I'll just another day, another week, I'll go get more. But we're procrastinating, and it, and it becomes like this, this, this uneasiness in our gut. Some people have described it as an emptiness, this void inside of me. There's, there's something missing, The search, and we try to figure it out. And what it is, it's a longing for the eternal, to make the trade, to live for God now, to, to, to seize that relationship with him and, and secure that relationship with him and make that my priority. When I, when I live that way, then, I, then I'm living on purpose. I'm, I'm living prior, a prioritized life with God first. But when I put it off and say, well, I'm going to live for what matters now, and I'll worry about eternity when I get there. It's, it's like living with this, this spiritual procrastination hanging over my head. See, I'm, I'm going to find time for what matters to me. So what matters to you? Do people matter? Number two. Excuse number two, I have more important things to do. <laughs> now, I have more important things to do. Well, first of all, Jesus said that this is the most important thing that we can do is, is be in a relationship with him and relationships with others, But also, think about this. A relationship with Christ is the only tangible thing that I take from this life. My my money will not go with me when I die. My stuff will not go with me when I die. The the place where I live will not go with me. This is sobering to think about, but my relationships with people who do not know Jesus, who, who, who have not bowed their knee to Christ and experienced the forgiveness of their sins, my relationships with people who don't know Jesus are not lasting relationships. There are very important relationships for me to have in my life. Jesus made those relationships. He he built those bridges for divine purpose. But those relationships even won't last. So so what is lasting? If my career and my stuff's not lasting, Jesus said it, he he said, you know what really matters is, is that relationship with the Father and with other people because that's really the only thing I'm gonna be able to take with me. He prioritized it. And if you look back in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, when we, we say the, ex, the excuse, I have more important things to do, I want you to notice the value, the importance of relationships. Verse 9, right on the heels of this, this man, it's contrasting to the man who is all alone is miserable. In verse 9, it says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So two are better than one. So so one plus plus One doesn't equal two is what it's telling us here. It actually equals more than that. There's a a greater return than what you can accomplish alone in life. There's greater fulfillment than what you're going to find alone. Two are better than one. They have a good return for their labor. Verse 10, "If, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together. They will keep warm. All the married people say, hey, come on. (laughs) But how can one keep warm alone? Verse 12, Jennifer inscribed this verse on the inside of my wedding band, Ecclesiastes 4.12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A cord of three strands. And I've always imagined that strand, that third strand, not just being the husband and the wife or two friends together, being God that that brings a relationship, a friendship, a marriage together. That's, That's the strength of a relationship. It's that relationship with the Father. And it says that 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 cord of three strands is not easily broken. There's a bond there. There's a strength to that. People make life better. God created us to be in in community. And and I want this message really to be an assault on the individualistic culture that we have all around us because I know that I feel that propensity inside of me to to do life alone. And and I, I know that you have that same feeling from time to time. And I just have identified it throughout my history, my life, It's never results in a good thing. When I pull away, it's never a good thing. It's it's, God wants me to be in community. Two are better than one. Actually, researcher Renee Spitz said this that that, the infants who are not held, hugged, or touched so they're not held, they're not hugged, they're not touched infants. The researcher, they prove this. Even though their parents give them shelter and they give them food, they give them nutrients, um, those children have impaired neurological development just for lack of touch, lack of care, lack of hugs and kisses from a mother or father. Also, the earliest studies, so back from the beginning when they first started studying suicide, they have proved that a major risk factor is social isolation. So it's literally bad for you on every level from neurological to psychological. I mean, every area of our life, when we withdraw, it's not good for us. But yet, how many times do we see our friends do this? How many times have we done this? I, I just need some, I, I need some time away to figure this out. i got to sort some things out. i just got to be alone. And it seems like that the devil is wanting to lead me. Now, now there's, there's a difference. Some of us are saying, well, what about Jesus? Because Jesus, he had time where he would retreat up onto the mountainside to pray. You know Jesus would withdraw and he would spend time in prayer. So shouldn't we be alone? Absolutely. You need solitude. I propose daily time alone with the Father. It might be the first thing you do in the morning. You get up, but Jesus—if you think about it—he was never alone, was he? When it says that he withdrew, he withdrew to pray. He withdrew to spend time with the Father. It, it wasn't like, hey guys, I'm really busy. I'm just gonna hey. I'll see you in a few days. I got to go sort some things out. <laughs> I, I got to go figure some things. I just need some time by myself away. He was with the Father. He was with the Father. He was growing independence in relationship when he was alone. Jesus prioritized it. doesn't mean that you don't need peace and quiet from time to time. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just wanting to expose the lies of the devil. This individualistic culture that we have that says that I don't need people and this, this myth here that I have more important things to do. Jesus said there's not anything that's more important than relationship. It's the most important thing in our life. And our relationships also offer us another opportunity. See, my relationships offer me the opportunity to do something that's going to last. They offer purpose. When I I serve someone else, I get to connect with the divine in a very powerful way. I'm using my life to make a difference that's going to last for eternity. What more fulfilling purpose is there in life? What's more meaningful than that to know that your life has impacted another life and that's going to last? It's powerful when you make deposits in other people's life. I was in middle school, maybe early high school, and me and one of my younger brothers rode our bikes to the bank. And it was a good day because I was going to make a withdrawal. And how many of you know it's a good day when you're making a withdrawal when you're like 10, 12, 14 years old? It's a good day because that means you're going shopping. And right, it was big money. I was going to withdraw $10 from my little checking account. And, I, and I pulled our, we pulled our bikes up at the bank, and we walk in. I, I have my little check register. I walk up to the bank, and I show them my ID, and I said, I'd like to withdraw $10. And they handed that $10, crisp $10 bill right across the counter, slid it to me. I, I put it. Uh, with my my little checkbook, I I had it right on top of my checkbook. I was holding it, and I walked out of the bank like you know it was a million bucks. Like come on, let's go to the store. I didn't even remember I was going to go buy, it, but I was so excited about my ten dollars. I was so excited. My brother was right there on my hip. We we're walking out. We mount our bikes, and just as we get ready to pull away, we see a real shady guy coming at us. And and this guy like he had a look in his eyes, and he said, Hey hey kids. And we just kind of started pedaling, I think instinctively like, this guy doesn't look like, he's definitely not from the bank. And, 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 and as we started pedaling, he started to jog. And so we kind of knew that this guy wanted something that wasn't good. And we started pedaling faster. And I realized that that $10 bill in my hand, he saw money. He saw young kids. He saw an opportunity to take advantage of someone. And, and it's going to be like taking candy from a baby. Well, me and my brother are like, uh-uh, let's get out of here. So we started pedaling so fast. We're, we're cutting through parking lots, dodging around cars. He he followed us for blocks and chasing us. We pedaled home so fast our hearts were beating. Mom, Dad, someone tried to rob us. You know, We called the police, went in a police report now I won't ever forget that feeling have you ever have you ever had someone try to take something from you that wasn't theirs I mean, what a horrible feeling you know but, but how about on the other side how about how about a time when maybe, Maybe you, maybe it was a withdrawal that you made. You went to the bank and, and you got something. Not, it wasn't someone taking something, but you, got, you came out and you're like, man, this is good. This is good. You, that, that, that whole thing of deposits and withdrawals, it's kind of fascinating to me relationally because I think it kind of works the same way. Because in your checking account, if you, if you withdraw money, that feels good, doesn't it? It feels good. I got something. But if you keep doing that and you don't put any money in, what happens? <laughs> Eventually, you say, I would like to withdraw $10. They say, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, ma'am. You've withdrawn all your money. You don't have any left. You don't have any left. Uh, now, on the other hand, if, if you withdraw money, that's okay as long as you put money in. Equal to or greater than the amount that you take out. You're saying, Brandon, I didn't come for a basic math class. I get it. I'm with, I'm with you. I'm, with you. I'm, just, I'm just trying to set the foundation here because although I know you understand that, why is it that we have such a hard time understanding it relationally? Man, it feels so good to take and withdraw. It feels so good when someone blesses you, when does, someone does something kind for you, when they serve you. I mean, doesn't it doesn't have just, it's like, it's like taking money out of the bank. It feels good when people deposit in you. When you withdraw, it feels good. To, it feels good to receive. You're born that way. We're born receivers, takers. But if you'll flip that, if you'll flip that you will see an exponential return on your relationships. If you can learn to become someone who makes deposits, now, it, it doesn't mean that it's wrong to receive. It's meant to be a two-way relationship. But if you're always taking and never giving, if you're always withdrawing and never depositing, what kind of a marriage is that going to be? What kind of a friendship is that going to be? What kind of I mean, what, where does that leave us? It, it leaves us spiritually bankrupt. It leaves us relationally overwithdrawn. What if you started Monday morning and you said, I'm going to make it my goal in every relationship to deposit more than I take. I'm going to stop being someone who withdraws. I'm going to deposit. So, so how can I deposit into my children's lives? Those friends at school, how can I deposit? Even my professor, they're always giving. How can I, it might be just a little thank you. Thank you so much for the ways that you've invested in me. That means so much. It's really impacted my future, my career. Thank you. You're making a deposit. And you've been making withdrawals, and that's, that's your, the role that you're in. But what if you started depositing? I, I just think it would change the landscape of our relationships. I, I put it this way in your notes, a question. Do I make more relationship deposits or withdrawals? What, what is it? Do, do I make more relational deposits or withdrawals? What's my relational account balance? <laughs> what if you could just think through the different relationships in your life? You know what your checking account balance is. <laughs> they, they send you a statement every month, and you pull it out, and sometimes, okay, we're doing better. Or, oh, man, it's not going so good. What if you could kind of open up every relationship and look inside and say, what's my account balance? Wow, I didn't realize it. I've been just taken. I've been withdrawing. I'm going to make a deposit this week. I might not be able to change the landscape, just like you, it's hard to change your finances. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes some time, it takes some discipline. It might take years, but it can change. Your relationship might be at a very significant deficit right now. Don't be discouraged by that. One deposit today and another deposit next week and, and then another one the week after. A year from now, you can be in a very different relational uh, account balance. Things could be in a much different place. Learn to be a giver, not a taker. Excuse number three, I don't know how to be a people person. I think this is one of the things that holds us back, honestly. It holds us back from getting in relationships, most of all, but, but making those relationships better. I, I don't know how to be a people person. I'm not a people person. I mean, whatever our excuse is, I, I'm more of an introvert. I'm more of a I'm not really into people. I'm more of a project person. Whatever our, our excuse is, I don't know how. And and the weird thing is in our culture now, we we have more acquaintances than we ever have had in human history. No no generation has ever had more people that they've tried to stay in touch with, more relationships that they've tried to manage, thanks to social media specifically, no generation has ever had so many people, like hundreds of friends, right, that they're trying to stay in touch with and it. oh, look what they ate for lunch. And oh, wow, look where they just went on vacation. It's like all these, these friendships that, that span ever since your elementary, middle school, and part of it's just so cool. It's a neat way to be able to stay in touch, but it also gives a little bit of a facade, a, a false understanding of what friendship might actually really be more than just clicking a button from time to time. You know, close friendship, relationship, seems like it's harder to find, even though my acquaintances are broader than ever before. True, deep, lasting, hard-to-find, close friendship can be very difficult. And one of the reasons is because some people are looking for the perfect friends, or they're looking for the perfect date. And that's an impossible task, because if you look in the mirror, you'd have to agree that you're not perfect either. And we're imperfect people trying to have perfect relationships. We're going to be let down from time to time. We're going to be disappointed. But if you care for the relationships around you, you can turn an acquaintance into a great friendship. You can turn a casual uh, romance into a raging fire. I mean, God can really build something great in your life. And you say, well, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that well. Let's look back at God's word again and see how, um, how we're supposed to live. I want to jump to Romans chapter 12, verse 15. We're in Romans 12 last week. We went through a, a section. We did a 10X relationships. If you missed it, you can catch up online. But, but right after that passage, it goes into verse 15 where it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. So, so, so go into each other's lives and celebrate each other's wins and mourn with each other when, when you mourn. Build friendship, build relationship. It, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes a relational deposit, it takes investment. You know, I'm going to go back to a, another financial example, okay? I'm going to use a, a home. Uh, some of you have homes, some of you aspire maybe to have a home one day. And, you know, part of getting a home is when you get it, it usually doesn't exactly look like what you imagine it could look like. So over time, you might fix it up. You might paint the walls. You might hang some new light fixtures. You might have some even bigger projects that you try to tackle. When we moved into our house about five years ago, Jennifer and I looked at the floors. And with a family that has four kids, we're like, this is not gonna work. (laughs) It had this real light color, almost a white, like off-white color carpet. It had white tiles. Like, this place is gonna look messy all the time. And sure enough, a couple months in, the kids running in and out, especially on rainy days. I mean, our carpet was getting bad real fast, real quick. The tiles always looked dirty. We'd clean as much as we could. But man, with four kids, it just was all, Always look messy. So we always thought, well, well, you know what? We want to put new floors in one day. We want to put some, maybe something that look like, like a tile that maybe looks like a hardwood or something like that. And and so we had this dream. And, and we went, and we priced it out. And, and I, I looked at this, uh, this particular company. I said, hey, you know, this is what I want to do. And they, they said, how many square feet? And we, we went through all the math. They said, all right, we can do it. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And they said, well, here's how much it's going to cost. Like, oh, <laughs> all right. I can't do that right now. I'll come back to you in about a decade. <laughs> He's like, that's not gonna work. So I was just you know, praying and thinking about, okay, well, how are we gonna do it? We'll, we'll, we'll do it someday. So we just we delayed it. wasn't it a big deal, and we noticed at the floors every once in a while. We wanted to do something to upgrade our home, but but we just weren't a spot quite to do it. Well, I went, and this is I think 2016, 2015, 2016. I, I went on a trip. I was a week long mentoring trip with some mentors of mine were investing in my life, and I was away. I was in Texas, and and I, and I came back from this trip so fired up. I'd learned so much. Couldn't wait to see my family. And I pull up into our driveway. Kevin Johnson, one of the guys in our church and our leadership team, he picked me up from the airport, drove me to my home. I had no idea this is set up because I pull up to the front of the house, and all of a sudden, as I'm getting out and bringing my suitcases out, there's there's a line of people, and and, and people from church, and they're standing out there in the front yard. I'm like, what is going on? Like, is this a welcome home party or what's happening? And 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 I walk in the front door, and they all have this expectant face, and they open the front door, and I look, and I was like those, you, you guys did the floors? What? That's amazing. Come to find out that from the time I left on Sunday till the night I got back on Thursday, there've been people there all, all, all throughout the day, like all four and a half days, they've been there working, pulling out the old tiles, putting in new tiles. Jennifer had totally surprised me. I had no idea she was gonna do that. We talked about doing this one day, but she like made it happen while I was gone and, and come to find out, I mean, people had sacrificed, they'd taken time off, they'd, they'd showed up, they had they'd, they'd served in such a, a, a loving way to someone that, that they cared about a friend and I felt so valued and 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 Jennifer I, I was blown away our relationship I was just I always have known she was a hard worker but but staying up till like you know two hours of sleep scrubbing paintbrushes so they could be ready to go the next morning washing out tile and stuff I'm like you're crazy I can't believe you did that it's so incredible and and they wanted to have a surprise when I got back and I was literally blown away I'll remember that for the rest of my life it was it was it was amazing And you remember, too, when someone has gone above and beyond to serve you in some way. It was something I'll never forget. But a house, when you improve it, it changes its value, doesn't it? We hope to live in our house a really long time. But if we ever put a for sale sign in the front yard, someone's going to come and say, you know what, you increased the value. This changed the value of this home because what? You improved it. You did something different. Listen to this really important point. Appreciate what you want to appreciate. I, I put it in your teaching notes, and I gave more details so this can make sense. Appreciate, cherish, notice, speak about it, recognize it, appreciate it. Appreciate in your life what you want to appreciate, what you want to increase in value. So if you want your value of your relationship to increase, to a word we would use in a home situation, you want it to appreciate, well, then appreciate it. Notice things. How do you do that, Brandon? Start by prayer, praying for them. You know, we're in this 21 days of prayer, and one of the things that we put in those, those five goals for you to pray about is so important. Pray that the people around you grow closer to God. Pray for them. We're trying to get in the habit of praying for the people that we care about in our lives. We said, pray for your church family. As you pray for others, you start to value them more. You care about them. When you point out things, hey, thank you for what you did. Hey, I noticed that. That made a big difference. Hey, I know this goes unrecognized by others that thank you. What if you walk through the halls of the church or where you work or where you live, and you just had your antenna up for, I'm just going to notice, I'm going to appreciate people. I want to add value. I want to raise the value of people. So I'm just going to, I'm going to notice what people do. Thank you for what you do. That means, that makes such a big difference. Thank you. Thank, thank you for that video you made a couple weeks ago. It made me laugh. That's so funny. The, that, was, that was really funny. But the, the, just if you could appreciate people, if you could just, what, what would God do to raise the value to appreciate our relationships? Excuse number four, finally, people keep letting me down. Now, we're going we're gonna to wade here at the end of this message into a little bit of a deeper waters, So there's a life jacket at the end, so you're not going to sink. But if you could go with me just in these closing minutes to a place that might be uncomfortable for some in the room, I think that God might use this, if you heard nothing else today, just to be a powerful time in your life. And some of you, this could be life-changing. But one of the excuses for not making relationships better, for not getting into relationships, and I've said across the lunch table from people who've told me this, in no uncertain words, people keep letting me down, or they've said things like, I've been hurt. I've been scarred. See, if you live long enough, you start to develop people scars over time. People hurt you. People let you down. Even good people, even people that you love, they can let you down and they can hurt you. Sometimes the hurt, the scars can even come from ordinary days like this.
0: A jetliner was turned around mid-flight when this granny was labeled a threat by a flight attendant. Ellen Fleming was traveling with her husband and two grandchildren when she says she made a simple request that escalated out of control. That's not right. Ellen Fleming says she found wet garbage in the seat pocket in front of her and asked a flight attendant to throw it away. She says he immediately became angry. He just hauled himself up to his full height and said, I'm a flight attendant and I don't look after garbage. Ellen says minutes later, she tried to put the garbage on a food cart. And he swiped my arm away and uh, and the garbage flew all over us and, and, um, and then I just, with my foot, I just kind of scraped it off away from my feet. She says these photos show her bruise from being hit. Soon after, the pilot announced that the Air Canada flight was returning to Toronto due to an incident on board police took her off the plane. Well, at one point I told them that they're taking the wrong person off. I said it should be the the flight attendant because he he lied. Passenger Helen Hollett backs up their story. I didn't see her be a threat to anybody. And uh, the thing is, most of the passengers on that plane didn't even know what was happening. Here's Les Trent. So the airline says that you exhibited aggressive behavior towards a crew member, threw garbage on a food trolley, and kicked a crew member. Is that true? Any Mm -hmm. of that?
2: No, 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 no. When we got that
0: letter, I
2: sat and cried.
1: Wow. So you're telling me an entire airline turned around, a whole airplane turned around and went back because of a piece of trash? Everybody say, that's crazy. Come on, say, that's crazy. I mean, that's over a piece of trash, an entire airplane turned around and made a landing, kicked this lady off the plane. That's, that's insane. Over a piece of trash in the seat pocket. It escalated. That's, that's crazy. But before we point fingers too much, how many times has that happened to us? Something small and insignificant turned into something big. And, and, and It's just unbelievable. How did that happen? I know I would not want all of my uh, controversies and problems in my life that were made over very insignificant issues. I wouldn't want them on the screen. So I can point the finger, but then I have to realize very quickly, man, I, I wouldn't want my insignificant, my little pieces of trash that I made a big deal about or someone else made, I wouldn't want that. So we, we've, all, we've all experienced that, right? I mean, we've had times where something really insignificant caused some huge and, and, and significant problem that came out of insignificance. You know, how, how does that happen? Proverbs thirteen ten clues us in. It says, where there is strife, there is pride. There's this me-first, self-centered, self-interest underneath it that spurs on conflict. See, here it is. Pride, Pride pours on fuel on fires. Pride pours it on. It makes things worse. But humility heals relationships. When I've been hurt by others, my sinful human tendency is to not communicate, withdraw from relationships. Well, then I don't need people. I don't need them. Or it's to retaliate. Break a relationship, burn a bridge. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, God tells me how I should really handle this. It says, Blessed, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Down in verse 19 it says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So so I'm not the scorekeeper. I wanna keep score, I wanna settle the score, I wanna make things right, I want them to get me, I want things to to, to go back more in my favor, but but I'm not the scorekeeper, it's God that settles the score. I'm supposed to do something that's very difficult, bless and forgive. Doesn't mean you don't set boundaries sometimes and when there's significant hurt that's taking place, it doesn't mean that there's not a healthy distance, that's not what I'm saying, but but when I withdraw from people, when I withdraw from relationships because I've been hurt, I'm actually becoming the prisoner of that pain. One person said to forgive is to set a prisoner free and then to discover that you were the prisoner. See, it it tells me not to take revenge, but it doesn't tell me that it's not going to hurt. When when you've been hurt, it actually hurts, doesn't it? There's a a pain there relationally when someone's let you down, stabbed you in the back, said something about you, done something to you, it hurts. It is possible sometimes the reason why it hurts so bad in, in some situations is it might reveal some of our insecurity our tendency to put too much value, our value, what we think about ourselves, on what other people say about us or what other people think about us, instead of where it should be on God. And what does God say about me? What does God say about you? What's the message of the Bible? It's this, that God loved you so much That he gave his own son, Jesus, to die on a cross for your sins. Because even though you'd failed him, even though you hurt him, he was willing to endure hurt, That watching the painful execution of his son, Jesus, on a cross for you. And I know you've heard pastors say things like this before. So you're thinking, well, that's just what they say, and that's what they're saying to all of us. No, I'm saying it directly to you today. Your sins put the son of God to death. My sin put Jesus on the cross and God willingly allowed that to happen. He went through that hurt, not only the hurt of his son, but the hurt of the father to watch that. Why? Because your hurt, your pain that you caused him was not so great that it was beyond his love for you. His love for you was greater than what you did to offend him. He loves you more than that, so he was willing to do whatever it took to bring you back into relationship with him. So much so that Jesus, while he's dying on the cross, gave us the ultimate example of forgiveness. The people who were Piercing his side, driving spikes through his wrists. He said, Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yes, you've been hurt greatly. But we're commanded in Scripture, Ephesians four thirty two, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So you have a God that would forgive you no matter what you've done. Why will you not forgive them? Why will you withdraw and say, I'm not, I'm not talking to them anymore. I'm not going to be in relationship. That hurts the Father's heart because when he looks down, he sees someone who he has done everything and anything to reconcile relationship with. He's loved us that much. He loves me so much, and I can never really love until I understand his love. And the final lesson in your notes is I forgive best when I've experienced God's forgiveness. I can't do relationships right. We're trying to learn how to do better relationships. I can't do relationships right without God's power in me. I can't really forgive someone without God's power in me until I've experienced the grace and forgiveness of God, until I've bowed my knee and said, I'm a sinner, I'm, I'm in need of a Savior, Jesus, forgive me. When I've done that, then I'm free to love, my heart's cleared, I can really love like I'm meant to be loved. But I have to forgive, and I have to be forgiven by the Father. I'm gonna close this in a time of prayer, and I'm gonna ask you to, maybe you're in one of two camps, maybe both, maybe there's some that are both, but, some of you need to seek forgiveness from the Father. It might be you need to seek salvation, forgiveness, meaning forgiveness from your sins, all your past, present, future sins. In a relationship with God, bow your knee to Him. But maybe there's a specific issue that that you have that's allowed to come between you and God, and you need to say, God, I need to do business with you today. I'm leaving it in this room. I'm leaving worshiping you because I'm I've been forgiven. I want that freedom in my heart. Some of you need to do business with God today, and you need to say, God, I am sorry. I have. I have not forgiven someone. You've forgiven me so greatly. How could I not forgive those who are putting you to death? And I'm I'm holding a grudge and I have the right, I'm making it. You're the avenger. You keep score, not me. God, I'm going to forgive. I don't want to be a prisoner to this thing my whole life. I'm going to forgive no matter what they've done, no matter who they are. I'm going to leave it here. I'm not carrying this burden my whole life. I'm going to forgive. And if that's you today, you can do that here, but then you're gonna have to courageously leave this room and pick up a phone or set an appointment or go to their place and just, I forgive you. Maybe that's the only words that you have the strength to give, but you need to say that for you. you also need to say that because God's forgiving you.
0: Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience worship original song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.